3: start and end your day with the good news the good news with angie austin find the podcast of past shows at angieaustinradio.com now here's angie austin and friends with the good news
1: hey well this is going to be a very interesting good news segment today i think as a radio host of two shows the good news uh... on christian radio and also uh... daybreak usa uh... predominantly on conservative stations uh... I walk a tightrope, I believe, when it comes to talking about politics, race, and religion. Many of you know I'm a blonde, you know, white chick that I, I'm a soccer player. But a couple of my close friends, including one of my best uh, girlfriends, are, are African-American. And uh, so Beatrice Bruno, the Drill Sergeant of Life, uh, who is an author and speaker, is joining me. Uh, and Beatrice, I've got two other guests that I want to join because I feel like I walk a tightrope. Because you know I was called a racist on recently. and
4: Yeah, and I still wish you'd tell me who the person was so I can go and confront them.
1: Well, I think it's hard for me to talk about race and religion and politics because there are certain topics that are almost taboo for me because I'm white and I'm a woman. Can I say
4: this? Yeah. Okay. To the person who called my best friend... Angie Austin, a racist, you don't know what you're talking about. She is the least racist person, the least racial person that I know of. And yes, she's short. She's white. She's got blonde hair. You know, she's a white chick, but she has no racism in her body. And what you're saying is totally unfounded. And that's it.
1: Well, I um, have also brought uh, my pastor friend, I've attended his church um, off and on for many years, Pastor John Morland. Hello, Pastor Moreland. Hey, glad to be back. Oh, it's so fun to have you. Who is I, also
4: black, oh, I might add. So okay. Angie's going okay. to <laughs> a black church <laughs> with black people.
1: But interestingly enough, I'm going inter- I'm gonna, to I'm gonna introduce my next guest and then Pastor Moreland, I am going to recount when I first came to your church sure. because he and I became friends first before I went to his church. John Gibbs is also joining us via phone and John has worked at Apple is an engineer on the iPhone. He's taught technology in Japan. He's fluent in Japanese. He has a BS in computer science from Stanford and a master's in public administration from Harvard University. And uh, he's quite bright, as you can tell. And he also is a columnist for The Federalist. And in a moment we are going to talk about one of his um, articles that's very interesting. Uh, seven Reasons This Black Man Supports Donald Trump. I also like How to Fight Black Lives Matter Harassment in uh, Houston and Why I'm the Only Non-Democratic non-demo- uh, in my family. Welcome, John Gibbs.
5: Hi, it's good to talk to you, Angie.
1: Hey, so John's a regular on my other show, and I thought, well, after I was called a racist, I wanted three of my buddies in to, like, help me to be able to discuss issues that involve race, politics, and religion, because I feel like in this PC world, I'm not allowed to talk about certain things. Now, when I went to Pastor Moreland's church for the first time, I think I've told you this, Pastor Moreland, and Beatrice you even came there with me once and said, "How did you get here, short little white blonde chick? How did you end up in this church?" She turned to me while we were doing praise and worship and she's like, "How did you get here?" So, obviously, John's my friend. Uh-huh. So he invites me. And Pastor Ron when I first went and I was the only white lady at the time, um I, I I thought maybe they wouldn't want me there. That, in the back of my head, I thought, wow, I wonder if I'll be welcomed here. And I've never been more warmly welcomed, to be honest with you.
6: Yeah. Well, first of all, let me say, the church has grown exponentially yes. since you were there. So yeah. a lot more yeah. brown and white people yes. are there now. <laughs> uh, so hopefully you won't get that feeling. But I'm glad you felt, warm and oh. welcomed and I mean that's who I we are and who we time aspire I kept to be. Back, so.
1: You know, yeah, and yeah. my kids feel very welcome by yeah. the kids, you know, very welcomed. Good. Uh, and Good. I don't think any of the kids treat my kids differently.
6: I should hope not. Yeah, no, yeah.
1: never. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think my kids realize that there was any difference between black, d- difference between black and white. And my daughter got a book about um, a woman who was an opera singer uh, way back when, and she was African American, and wasn't allowed to perform in certain theaters. Yeah. And I actually gave her African American teacher the book back and said, "I'm not ready yet to teach my daughter about hate. Many of her friends at church are African American, and mm. I don't really want to introduce this topic yet. I feel she's too young. Yeah. I didn't want to even bring it up yet and let her know that anyone treated anyone differently because of color. So, um, John, I want you, uh, John? John Gibbs. <laughs> yeah, I'll call you Pastor. All right, uh, no. all right, John Gibbs. I want you to tell us a little bit about your article. Um, uh, seven Reasons This Black Man Supports Donald Trump. And then I kind of want to get into some of the Black Lives Matters issues and some other things. And I know that you, John Gibbs, have also had some real pushback from your community in terms of, you know, uh, many things that you've been criticized for, your views in terms of them possibly not representing the African-American community. Is that right?
5: Yeah, you know, um, when you turn on the news and you listen to how people are talking about things, you would think that Donald Trump was a KKK grand dragon himself, the way people are talking about him. I said, now that doesn't quite sound right. Let me do some investigation and see what the real story is out there. So you look at all the claims of the, he denied housing to you know uh, black people in New York City and whatnot. You find most of them are without merit, uh, largely. Um, and the stories have been twisted a little bit. And it's, this person said their cousin's brother, whoever said this, mm. and hasn't been substantiated by any um, other uh, credible witness or party, so you you see case after case where these claims are often not panning out the way they're allegedly supposed to have. So I said, uh, maybe there is actually not a lot of truth to this. So I started looking into it, and uh, uh, you realize again, um, he's not this this racist person that many people are portraying him to be. And then above and beyond the question of you know you were called racist yourself recently, which I think is really quite shameful. But above beyond this question of someone being called a racist. There's who who is this man? What's his character? What does he stand for? What's his background? And when I look at it, it's something that I get much more excited about um, than Hillary by a very large margin, and even compared to some of the other Republican candidates that we had during the primary. um, You have someone who's an outsider. You have someone who was against the Iraq war from the beginning, uh, like I was, um, even though I'm conservative and um, I attend to vote Republican. I I was not in favor of that. And um, just things like that really... uh, uh gives me a lot of affinity for Donald Trump. He has a track record of success. You know, one of the things I said in my article is, you build a skyscraper and the electricity doesn't work, you can't blame racism or you can't blame a right-wing conspiracy. <laughs> Stuff's just got to work and you got to make it work. Uh, so I really like and that record. I want to jump guy. in
1: there too, John Gibbs, because uh, one of my friends, sure. Jim Stovall, he's written over 30 books. He's got a movie studio, TV studio, and he uh, has done business with Donald Trump. He said, "Angie, let me tell you something. I know that he's misspoken. I believe a lot of that has to do with his lack of experience as a politician." He said, "But secondly, I would ask you to go onto any of Donald Trump's properties and see it's a it's an extremely well-run business wherever you you know walk into one of his businesses or properties." Uh, and with employees who are very happy and who are very loyal to him and who have worked there a long time. So he said the proof is in the pudding, you know, in terms of his work with him as a professional. And so again, like you said, with a skyscraper, if it doesn't work, you can't blame, you know, some kind of conspiracy.
5: That's right. And another thing is, his policies are actually good for Americans, which seems like an astounding thing to have to say about a candidate. But the way things have gotten, you look at both parties and they're fighting for. You know, uh, uh, big money interest for billionaire donors and super PACs and whatnot. But so there's actually fewer and fewer politicians thinking about the interests of regular Americans. I like Trump's position on illegal immigration. It's really wonderful, especially for poor black people. I mean, large amounts of illegal immigration have been shown to drive down wages and drive up unemployment. Um, so that's really a good thing to have someone focusing on that issue. He's focused on trade. A lot of our trade policies, we sometimes get outmaneuvered by Japan and China. I used to live in Japan, and they don't drive American cars there. Um, it's oh, 95% domestic. They really don't allow foreign cars in their market to any significant degree. Uh, so it's smart to be having these conversations about what exactly is fair trade and how can we look at our trade in a way that makes it benefit Americans. So I think he's really uh, uh, good in terms of looking at things from what benefits uh, actual regular Americans. And he can do that because he has financial independence. He's already independently wealthy, so he doesn't oh. have to take money from um, uh, billionaire hey, super PACs who will tell him what to believe.
1: Uh, you know, uh, and what what are some of the what's the response that you get to you know five reasons? Uh, well, let's see. Yeah. Uh, in terms of well, let's just start with the first article we talked about that we introduced. Uh, seven reasons this black man supports Donald Trump. What kind of uh, response do you get? Because by the way, Ben Carson did come out within the last day, and he actually said he would challenge the African American community to watch Hillary's America about the Democratic Party uh, in general. And not just vote um, the way that they feel they've always voted, does that make sense? And again, I'm always nervous talking about this topic because somehow I'm going to misspeak and I'm going to be judged for what I say, and it's really hard to talk about things when I'm talking about the black community and I'm white because I have to really be careful uh, because you know it's not like my right to talk about. It. Does that make sense? And so what what kind of pushback do you get?
5: Well, Thomas Sowell said a racist is a Republican has beating a Democrat in a debate. So I think that's worth remembering for you there. Hmm. Um, but, yeah, you know, I, I've gotten um, pushback. I've gotten people who say that I'm doing this just to be a novelty, that I'm uh, writing stuff supporting Trump just so I can be seen as some kind of some anomaly and, and person who's unique out there, and that I'll get notoriety just by having a unique, un, unpopular, uncommon position, which is completely false. I would never write what I don't believe, period. Um, everything I'm writing is what I really feel. And I think the word has to get out there. Uh, that Trump is is a candidate for everybody. It doesn't matter if you're black or white. He's someone that I get excited about. That has nothing to do with seeking notoriety or seeking to be unique and uh, things like that. So that's something I get is people claiming that I'm doing this just to kind of be this unique uh, voice and market myself that way. All right. Um, Beatrice, by the way,
1: um, jokes around that she's going to get kicked out of the black community for some of her viewpoints. And I remember last year, specifically, Pastor Moreland, you wrote on your Facebook page, and you challenged people Not to just vote a certain way, based on color.
6: Yeah, I agree. Uh, Or yes, I did, and I do agree with that, and and still hold to that. I don't think um, anyone or any party is entitled to any group. Yeah, women and and can assume that. Yeah, uh, whites, Latinos. Yeah, and so I'm Republican, maybe for uh, some different reasons than what I'm hearing from. Uh, John on the other end.
1: And one thing, Pastor Moreland's also been, um, he's in the military and he's also been a police officer and uh, Beatrice has been a drill sergeant and a speaker, so they have, you know, they've been in the trenches in some of these topics that are going to come up particularly with Black Lives Matter, et cetera.
6: Yeah, so for me, generally speaking, I'm Republican because of the moral platform, again, generally speaking. Uh, I come to this conversation kind of with a fundamental belief that I think we're having this conversation in America at too great and extremes and we need to strike a better balance. That's a good point. You know, we say all white people are right. this or all police officers are that yeah. or all black people are this. Or
1: like when Trump spoke <clears throat> recently and talked about the communities being poor or dealing with crime uh, to the African-Americans, they were like, "What? Well, some. He didn't say some. Well, we do know he's speaking to the group that's really struggling, in my opinion. Like, I just feel like we have to walk this tightrope. You can't just talk anymore.
6: And I think that's part of what's hindering us is is we haven't created an environment that's safe enough for everybody to be honest about what they're feeling mm-hmm. i don't think most people are inherently evil i think all of us are inherently ignorant there's no such thing as common sense you only know what you have taught, what mm-hmm. you're taught and so we haven't created an environment where we can have an organic conversation and really say hey i feel this or i believe this mm-hmm. or the white community seems to uh, do this or the black community seems to act this way mm-hmm. and really allow someone speak back to that without being labeled and so
1: being labeled yeah and so we're afraid to talk
6: yeah i don't know that i will support mr trump i'm really at a crossroads as a registered republican and and have a few questions for john if you know if the time permits but but yeah, we've got about forty minutes, so yeah. we
1: can. And, uh, before we start the questions, then sure. for John Gibbs from Pastor Moreland, Beatrice, did you want to chime in at all on uh, any of this? Because I don't know if you feel like you w- walk a tightrope. You're pretty outspoken, I believe, and don't uh, don't uh, watch your words according <clears throat> to how people might judge you.
4: That's very true. Because having been having served in the military, ha- being a black woman married to a white man in the United States of America in 2016, there are so many people that look at first my color and then say well why are you married to a white man then they say well why are you republican well first of all i'm a republican because when i went into the military the republican presidents were the one that helped the military the most they gave us the most benefits they provided the most um benefits for us in the military um but then i started looking at the moral issues as pastor morland said
1: because you became a christian
4: yes i became a christian and i started looking at their values and their values were more in aligned with in tune with who i I am. And so, um, as far as, as Donald Trump is concerned, my thing is I just don't think we have an optimal presidential candidate right now uh, for all, all the way around and I know that Mr. Gibbs is going to say something about that and I'm glad. I, I want to hear it. But several years ago when Ross Perot was running for president I firmly believe we should have elected him as president because he would have run the United States as a business which is what the United States should be viewed as. It's a business. Yeah, I don't all know if these it's been different- run like a business. No, no it has not. the post
1: office for that matter. It's no. not run like FedEx. You no know?
4: it's not but it's a business none the less because of all the different cultures and all the different things that go on within the United States. And of course, my my view is an unlearned view because I don't study politics. But um, looking at it from that standpoint, I feel that we should have elected people like Ross Perot um, as well as, and I, I mean, you know, not for nothing, Donald Trump, because they are businessmen. They're independently wealthy, as Mr. Gibson said earlier. And they will run this company, uh, this country, not company. expecting for somebody to pay them, but expecting to, to in, in invoke in our culture something that's going to benefit everyone.
1: Now, uh, let's go ahead, uh, uh, Pastor John Moreland, uh, you go ahead with your question, because I know you're having a little uh, hard time with Trump. And when I interviewed uh, Buck Sexton, who is with the Blaze and who fills in for Rush Limbaugh a lot, uh, he said uh, there are a lot of half-Trumpers. You know, people that maybe they're they're thinking about voting for him, but they won't say it. They're not going to put a sign in their yard. They don't want to get into a disagreement with someone, but they're considering it. And I think a lot of people feel like they're um, between a rock and a hard place, you know, and some Republicans even turning on him. And I have my own opinion about why some of them are doing it. I do think there's some professional jealousy, you know, like the Bush family. It's like uh, we had our time and now we're just going to, you know, try to bury you. Although, Mm -hmm. interestingly enough, I think it's Jeb's son Son? Oh, it's, it's someone in the family that now is endorsing him who's also in politics that I, uh, I talked about on the show a few weeks back. But feel free to ask uh, John Gibbs a few questions if you'd like, uh, Pastor yeah. Morland.
6: John, hey, thank you for your time and thanks for um, the level and depth of research that it sounds like you've done. And, and I try to keep my eyes and ears open and do my homework before I make a, a judgment call one way or the other. Uh, so I do have some questions about Mr. Trump and why you're supporting him that maybe you can speak to. So I hear people say... Yeah. Uh Trump is not a racist and I don't know whether he is or isn't. I know he has made some statements that trouble me deeply that I want to ask you to speak to. But I hear people say he's not a racist, he just misspeaks. Well, when you're the leader of the United States of America, I'm not sure that we can underestimate the power of misspeaking when you're dealing with people like Russia and China and North Korea, so on and so forth. But to, to come more directly to that statement he's not a racist how do you qualify some of the troubling statements that he has made about for example mexican-americans in his um, or even uh, if i can use the term illegal mexicans who are here in the united states illegally but how do you qualify how do you um, categorize some of the statements he has made uh, when he has said and i'm not quoting him verbatim but certainly these were his words that they're lazy or they're criminals or they're rapists so on and so forth How is that not racist? What would you say to that?
5: Uh, Well, first of all, Pastor, thank you for the questions. I think it's good to have dialogue about this and and explore these issues, so I'm I'm very glad to be able to discuss this. Um, You know, I think my first answer to what you've raised is to look at the context. Uh, When I go back and look at the context of the comments that Donald Trump made about illegal immigration from Mexico, Um, I think a lot of what we're seeing reported in the mainstream media was largely taken out of context. He first said that there's a lot of wonderful people coming from Mexico. That's a comment he made. And then he went further and dug in deeper and said, but unfortunately we're also getting some uh, uh, people who are not the best and the brightest coming over, who are, I think you said, there's some criminals and rapists and lazy people or whatnot who are coming over among the the good people also uh, from Mexico. So... um, the way I see it, when I read the context of it, at least, is that he was not making a blanket statement about all Mexicans or even all people who come here from Mexico illegally, but that because there's no control whatsoever um, with, of people coming across the border, you can get those folks, who so unfortunately, are not the best and the brightest coming across because there's no screening control of it. So to that extent, I agree with um, what he said there, um, even though it was easy for that to be taken out of context. Uh, a second thing, he realizes that Trump is not just going against Hillary. He's going against both Hillary and the mainstream media at the same time. And they're going to misconstrue almost anything he's saying in such a way that it will appear to be racist, even though if I were to look at the context of it, that was not the original intention of the statement. That's why whenever he's allegedly um, uh, said that I've made something, some comment that was, uh, was not appropriate, I try to go back and read or watch the video of the entire context. So I can make the judgment myself and see if that's the case, because I find in more cases than not um, that is not the case. And the third and final thing I would say is I think there is a troubling—I uh, don't know what you call it—a mentality among some people in the U.S. in which our litmus test for whether or not I—I I don't like something is whether or not I consider it to be racist. And then I have to ask myself, you know, if there's a person out there—not Donald Trump—I don't believe he's racist—but if there's a white person out there who said. You know, I think blacks XYZ, is that person causing black men to kill each other at such high rate? Is that person causing 70% of black kids to be born out of wedlock? Is that person causing black kids to have the worst education performance in schools? Uh, the point of all that is, I don't think that, that an allegedly racist comment is really the thing that's hurting black people and that's keeping us down. I think it's yep. deep spiritual issues in the community, it's issues in the family, it's government policy that sometimes incentivizes the wrong kind of behavior disincentivizes marriage, disincentivizes work. I'm more concerned about those kind of things than um, whether or not John, what someone has said stay is... stay there. We have to, go to commercial,
1: we have to go to commercial break. And uh, in regards to CNN cutting video, they just got busted recently for completely cutting uh, something out of context that changed the complete meaning of what they said. We'll talk about that and continue this discussion when we get back. Hi, it's Angie with the good news. Here's some good news. Bring the whole family to the 14th annual Harvest Farm Fall Festival and Corn Maze for a true farm experience. My kids love this thing. A 10-acre corn maze, corn cannons. Hello, corn cannons. How fun is that? Yard games, natural play areas, a petting zoo, pig races. Oh, yeah. A hay wagon <laughs> with hay wagon rides and much, much more. Sounds like a blast, doesn't it? Open weekends, October 1st through the 30th. Also open on Fridays as well, 10 a.m., a.m. To 8 p.m. again october 1st through the 30th so come on out and check us out kids are $13 but children under three are free and then adults $15 and this goes to a great cause the denver rescue missions long-term rehab and transitional living program they are helping put this together and so this benefits the denver rescue mission hey fun and a good cause you can't beat that go to denverrescuemission.org for more info
2: when going to a chiropractor, you may be thinking that they won't be able to help you for the long term. However, Dr. Joe Arvey at Maximize Living will change your mind. The moment you meet him, you will find that he is your best friend. He treats you like you are part of his family and he truly cares about you and your health. He is very knowledgeable about long-term health and wellness. Through the use of spinal correction, he helps you discover what it takes to be a healthier you and will help you feel better even after your first adjustment. He will also share with you the essentials to healthy living so you can take your health back. No matter what stage of life you're in, he will help you develop a plan to achieve the goals you set. Get ready to make a positive change in your life. Give him a call at 303-457-8080, 303-457-8080 or spinegeek.com. Maximized living, adjustments for life.
7: Is your marriage going badly? Has addiction or sin put a wedge between you and your spouse? We can help. Our book, Caught, tells the story of how God redeemed our marriage and gives 10 holy habits that will cause your marriage to be strong. Good marriages don't just happen. We can help. Go to caughtinhisarms.com for more information and to order your copy of Caught. That's caughtinhisarms.com.
1: Welcome back to the Good News. Very excited to welcome Brad Snyder. And his book, Fire in My Eyes, An American Warrior's Journey from Being Blinded. Um, And Brad, I have to tell you, my um, producer is so excited. Um, He's been talking about doing this interview for weeks now. And uh, just really excited to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, That's fantastic. Thank you for having me. All right, so tell us, well, just hear your story. I mean, we tell a lot of stories. Um, Again, let me give you the full title, A Fire in My Eyes, An American Warrior's Journey from Being Blinded on the Battlefield to Gold Medal Victory. So uh, explain your situation, how you went into the military and then ended up in the Paralympics as a a champion.
0: Well, uh, you know, the the story is basically in September of 2011, I was a deployed service member to Afghanistan uh, with an assault team that was tasked with, training up Afghan Special Forces soldiers to kind of protect, uh, protect our interests in that country. And uh, in between the spring of 2011 and the fall, I conducted about 30 different combat operations. Unfortunately, on the morning of September 7, 2011, I stepped on an improvised explosive device that detonated a short distance in front of me. Uh, I was really fortunate to be able to walk away from the incident. However, I, uh, I suffered some pretty bad damage to my face. The most extreme of which, to my eyes, and I lost my vision completely as a result. Um, obviously, it's pretty—it's a pretty difficult, um, you know, uh, traumatic incident to deal with. And yeah. we, my family and I were able to kind of pick up the pieces uh, of our lives through swimming, and so that's what the story really covers.
1: Now, had you been a swimmer before you went in the military, before you lost your eyesight?
0: For all my life, you know, in, in varying capacities, I grew up in Florida, surrounded by water, and. Uh, we were a beach family, always out at the at the beach, paddling in and out of the waves with my dad. And around the age of eleven, turned it into competitive swimming, and then ended up swimming in college. Moved away from the sport in two thousand and six to to serve, you know, in the Navy. Um, and you know, always kept up with athletics. It's a part of a you know, it's a core component of Navy Navy life is PT, we call it physical training. So I was in pretty good shape when I got hurt, and it was kind of a natural connection to do to get back into. Um, while I was working through rehabilitation.
1: Well, and how neat too, because the pool you already knew so well and so you could navigate it really without your eyesight. And then you already had the physical, you know, uh, uh, you know ability to excel. And that, my understanding is that's what you've done. I, I, I want to read a quote from, um, from you um, when you were speaking with First Lady Michelle Obama. And then I want to get into, you know, your competition in the Paralympics. Uh, the quote is, I am not going to let blindness build a brick wall around me. I'd give my eyes 100 times again to have the chance to do what I have done and what I can still do. Wow, that's pretty powerful.
0: Well, what I was trying to capture there is, you know, a lot of people wanted to put me in a box at that particular time. Everyone kind of kept putting me in this victim box. It must be so hard for you. And what's your life going to be like? And uh, people kept using the word disabled or disability or on disability or disabled veteran. And I felt as though I didn't want anybody to assume something about me that wasn't true. And and, and in my my eyes, blindness wasn't going to be anything that took away from my ability to succeed or be happy or any of those other things. So I wanted to immediately find a vector to show you that I have no regrets. I take responsibility for what happened to me, and I'm going to make the most of the the cards that I'm dealt, you know. And thankfully, the, the vehicle, the conduit, the medium for that ended up being swimming.
1: You know, um, before we get into your victories in the pool and uh, how well that's gone for you, you remind me a little bit of one of my friends. His name is Jim Stovall. He's written over 30 books, and he wanted to play in the NFL, and he lost his vision as a teenager. And uh, now he makes movies. He has a uh, studio that actually adapts movies for uh, the sight-impaired so that you can feel like you're seeing the movie because they explain it. Uh, It's the Narrative Television Network. So anyway, I would love to make an introduction between you two because he's such a victor, and his message is one of hope. And you remind me of him because he went on to be an Olympic weightlifter because he's like, well, I can't play football anymore because I'm blind. So what can I do? Well, I can certainly be an Olympic weightlifter. So I love that you took this the talents, the gifts you already had that God had given you, and then uh, regardless of what happened to you in the military and losing your sight, that then you continued to use those gifts. So let's talk about your experience competing um, after you lost your eyesight.
0: Well, first I'd like to say I probably benefit from gym services, because I do watch movies and television that way. Um, And and on that, there's also a uh, there's a long snapper for the University of South, Southern California, I think, who played either last year or this season, who's completely blind or, or visually impaired. So, it's, you know, Jim, is a, Jim inspired folks like myself. Hopefully, I'm inspiring other folks to break down those barriers and, and change the way the perception views blindness. Blindness isn't a death sentence. It doesn't mean that you have to hide in your room all day. Yeah. It just means we have to adapt the way we do things. Um, and... and so it's, it's funny you talk about Paralympic Achievement. You know, originally when I got into swimming, it, it had nothing to do with competing. It had everything to do with just showing myself and my family that I would be able to uh, continue living in the same manner that I did before. It kind of took a life of its own, though, when I started to make the national team-level cuts, and then we went to Paralympic Trials in 2012. In London, I had the opportunity to win two different gold medals and a silver, uh, wow. the silver being in 50 freestyle. Uh, one gold in the 100 freestyle and then one gold in the 400-meter freestyle, and that's kind of the crux of the fire-in-my-eye story was I, I won the gold in the 400 on the exact year anniversary of the day I lost my vision. And, and going around telling that story for the last few years is really what prompted the idea of trying to put pen to paper and capture that story in a way that people could really relate to and, and see themselves in my own story.
1: Wow, that is impressive. And for anyone that doesn't swim the 400 free, it's not for sissies. It's not exactly like down and back.
0: That's down and back, down and back, down and back, down and back. So it's a couple, <laughs> it's about a four-and-a-half-minute race. Um, and, and moreover, it's been fun. It's like So I've been telling that story and writing that story, and we debuted the story exactly a day before I went to Rio to do the same thing and actually was able to improve upon that this go-around. Uh, I won the 100 and the 400 again. Uh, I also won the 50 disco around and set a world record of 100. So we, we took what we did in London, which was already really pretty remarkable and, and then we were able to spend four years making it better. So it's really been a fun fun journey uh, and and i'm definitely a different person than i was before i lost my vision but in many 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 ways i'm a better person
1: wow all right so when people read your book fire in my eyes uh brad snyder what do you want them to take away what do you want people to learn uh from re- you obviously are not a victim you don't want to be known as a victim um so what do you want to teach people through through the book so
0: you know we in a in a quick Quick session radio show. We can't really get into the 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 extent of the story, and, and in many ways, blindness was not the worst thing that I dealt with. In the in, in between 2008 and 2011, I lost a friend on the battlefield of Iraq. I lost an ex girlfriend to suicide. Uh, my dad actually died while I was in Afghanistan, and then I went blind. So when you kind of consider all these major traumatic instances all in succession, it kind of it, it beat me down for a while. But I kept, you know, in, in some ways, kept putting things into perspective and moving forward. And really that's what I want to inform the reader is that you know, life can deal with challenges and some difficult situations, but if you continue to adopt a positive outlook, uh, embrace your family, and uh, always seek to be a better person than you were the day before, all these kind of semi-cliche life lessons or whatever, I, I really put those to the test through some difficult experiences and came out on top. And, and that's really what I want to inspire people to adopt that, that positive mindset and know that if things aren't going your way, Keep keep it keep going up to the plate because they'll get better eventually.
1: Well, I'm um, I'm just so thrilled to have you. I'd love to have you back. Uh, uh, fire in my eyes: An American Warrior's Journey from being blinded on the battlefield to gold medal victory, Brad Snyder. And Brad, I, I thank you so much. Um, and Oddly enough, I didn't realize that I would be putting you and Christopher Duffley's story back to back, but uh, two um, young men I'm very impressed by now. Christopher uh, was born blind and with autism, and he was in foster care when his aunt found out. This young man has been such a blessing to his family. They had no idea the gift he had for music. Before he could speak, They were on a missions trip and he started singing and he was pitch perfect and now he sings all over the world. Let's take a listen to Christopher's story.
8: Music brings joy to people and singing is a gift that I share. Because I'm blind, I see people with my heart for who they truly are instead of what they look like on the outside. Christopher Duffley here from Manchester, New Hampshire, and I'm an inspirational singer and podcaster. Joining me in the studio today is my co-host and great mom, Christine Duffley.
9: I believe Christopher is a gift. He's a young boy with a mission. Music's been part of his life since the beginning.
10: I think it's difficult to imagine how many people he impacts. He is helping me to achieve and understand what life is about. I don't know how you package up inspiration and put it in a can or whatever, but somehow he's able to embody that and he touches people's hearts.
8: Christopher
9: came to us under special circumstances that my brother was expecting a baby with his girlfriend, and Christopher was born prematurely. At 26 weeks, one pound, 12 ounces. And those beginning weeks were very critical, and there were times that my brother was told he wasn't gonna make it. A period of time passed, and we heard no more about what happened to Christopher. And when I called social services, they told me that he was in foster care. I wasn't looking to be a super mom, but what I wanted to do was do the right thing.
8: This is my brother Christopher. The
10: world he loves so very much.
9: Christopher showed signs of loving music from the moment I picked him up. He loved to clap and keep beat. Patty cake was his first song.
10: Patty cake, patty cake,
9: baker's man. Yes, the happy boy. His speech was simply words.
10: He could answer questions, but he didn't know what he was answering. He just knew that was the answer to the
9: question. When we enrolled him in preschool, they felt that this was pretty significant, and it was pretty obvious to me that this wasn't something that was going to go away. So we had an evaluation, and with the evaluation came an autism diagnosis. And so we brought him to music school in hopes that she could help with the communication. By fourth grade, He was starting to comprehend things better, starting to complete his homework. It was through music therapy that Christopher was really able to communicate with us and then now to the world. The teacher taught him the national anthem. What a proud moment that was to be there in that auditorium with all his classmates and veterans and family members and to hear him sing. We went from singing the national anthem to singing Open the Eyes of My Heart on the video that went viral with that huge choir. Open the eyes of my heart.
10: There wasn't a dry eye on the place, and the ovation was was crazy.
9: They see a story that gives them hope, whether or not they have faith.
10: It got 5 million views in May, so I said, wow, that's
6: great. In three weeks, 5 million views, and then in June it gets 22.5 million views in one week.
9: I'm humbled. I'm humbled by all of this, and it's because of that video that we do what we do.
10: One, two, ready, go. Good, that's an octave. You see the octave? I started working with Chris in 2014. I'm his music coach, mentor, also, at times, just an extra voice to help uh, get him prepared for what's going on in his life. Working with Chris at first was a little more challenging than it has become, because the way his, his spontaneity is, and he just kind of says whatever's in his mind, and there's no filter, which is really fun, has taught me to be a little bit more compassionate, I think, in my own life, too, with my own family, and maybe more compassionate with myself, too, to, and you know what, to, to be well, more please. blunt
9: and in, a, in a helpful too. way. He's just funny. He knows how to crack a joke even though you can say a joke and a lot of times you won't know, he doesn't know what it means. I'm going to show you what it is like to be blind. Um,
2: uh, Christopher, uh, I'm still in here. Oh, whoops, sorry.
10: I see Chris impacting a generation. It's not just the music and just making music. He wants to advocate for people. He wants to move other people to action.
8: I never stop thinking of ways I can make a positive change in the world.
10: He's delivering something to them. It's like a special package for them. Like, this is for you. Uh, And that's what's so wonderful. When you can touch all sorts of different people at the same time, that's a gift
9: we all might have something about us that's an inconvenience and we rise above it. And He shows us how to rise above it and he's learning to better advocate for himself. And that's how the podcast has started.
10: He's not really great at expressing his feelings. That's why it's nice to have the podcast because he can sit back, listen to it and edit and make it sound the way he wants it to feel.
8: Hello and welcome to another episode of Mission Possible. I am your host Christopher Duffley. And today, we're going to hear about another incredible person on their mission. I name my podcast, Mission Possible, because with God, all things are possible. And the people I interview on it are people that have a mission. Audio, 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 unchecked. Now Mission Possible podcast
9: starting in
10: three, two, one. Christopher does all his own editing and engineering. That's what he loves.
9: It gives him a voice, it gives him total control, also gives him an outlet to perhaps have his own business. I'm gonna try accomplishing my dream. I am hoping to either
8: be a sound engineer or a radio station operator.
9: It gives him unbelievable independence because we want him to be a successful adult.
8: Yeah, I have blindness and autism, but it doesn't stop me.
10: He has a healthy level of pride. Pride, not arrogance, but he has this healthy sense of, you know what, I'm just gonna go for it. Without thinking, of fear. He really just thinks that he can talk to anyone. It doesn't matter who it is. I mean, let's get him on the phone, and he's gonna
8: just do this. Everybody has a mission in life, or at least a purpose for life. That's what, and and that's what everybody in this country should believe that are watching. That's what everybody needs to believe.
9: When he sings, it's a whole experience. It's his whole being, it's his whole body proclaiming something, uh, whether it's lean on me or open the eyes of my heart. It's, it's a Im- total embodiment of a message and it brings him great joy and great pleasure.
10: It really moves people's hearts because they kind of get out of their self and they realize if this little boy can get through all these struggles, my struggles are nowhere near. His and he can still have joy in his heart.
1: Excellent, we'll be right back. Hey, it's Angie Austin. I'm here with my friend, Francis Owens with ARC. And Francis, you and I have been friends a long time and you and I both wanted to do something with our lives, with our careers that made a difference. I love ARC. I've gotten to know so many of the Differently Abled Ambassadors through you and it's shopping with a purpose. So when we shop there, the money actually goes to help the disabled community locally and you need donations.
9: We need donations all the time
1: and we are very, very happy to come pick them up. You can easily call 303-238 Jane, which is 303-238-5263. We would love to come pick up anything. All of our sales go to help people with disabilities around the state. We raise funds for advocacy. Love it. And you can also, of course, drop things off, but they'll come and pick things up for free. And again, all the money stays locally to help the disabled community. And I love to shop there because I find great deals. You can find out more info as well at arcthrift.org. Thank you. Perfect. Yay. Hey, if you want a wonderful place to take your family, YMCA of the Rockies, it's a great deal. It's tons of fun. A wonderful Christian organization. Uh, Lisa Newjar with Y is here. And you've got some fall specials? We do. At both of our centers in Estes Park and over by Granby, we have some special fall-themed family weekends where families can come up and just spend some time together away from the busyness. I've been going since I was a kid. Uh, lodge rooms start at $99 with two free breakfasts. Uh, and your website, YMCARockies.org. Thanks, Lisa. Thank you. Hi, it's Angie. Welcome back to the good news. Did you know that there are some signs of a stroke? I've talked with my mom several times because I don't know about you or your parents, but my mom is the one to like wait it out and not call 911. So I've specifically gone over some of the signs and I think it's so important for all of us to know because one in six people worldwide will have a stroke in their lifetime. So here to help us today is Dr. Jeffrey Switzer and also Lieutenant General George Crocker, who is a stroke survivor. Welcome, gentlemen. Well, thank you for having us. All right, doctor, let's start with you. And we'll talk a little bit about the, um, the signs and what we need to know and when we need to call for help. Because I know that with a stroke, you need to get help right away because you could really decrease the, uh, you know, the effects. And then I want to talk to the general about his stroke and his experience. So, doctor, you first.
3: Sure, that's right, Angie. There is a acronym that your listeners can remember called FAST that's very useful to, to recognize the symptoms of stroke and get rapid attention. So FAST stands for face, arm, speech, and time. Okay. So if you're concerned that someone's having a stroke, you can ask them to smile and look if there's any facial asymmetry, a droop of the face on one side. You can ask them to lift both of their arms or lift their arms for them and see after you let go, is there a drift of one of the arms or paralysis of one of the arms. Ask them to repeat the phrase, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. If their speech is slurred or they have difficulty repeating, that can be another sign of a stroke. So if they have one. One of those deficits, you need to remember that comes to the T, the timeliness of getting rapid, rapid evaluation and treatment. So always call 911 if you're concerned that the person you're with may be having a stroke and get them brought to the closest available hospital that's capable of providing acute stroke treatment.
1: Okay, so again, that is fast face, arm, speech, and time. And uh, don't be afraid to call 911. The faster you get help, the uh, better off you'll be in the long run. Let's talk now to you, General Crocker. What was your experience when you suffered a stroke on that day?
7: Well, I suffered a massive stroke. I was out in the garage, putzing around with the cars, and I had a pain in the back of my head, and I blacked out and went down. My wife came and found me about five or ten minutes later, immediately recognized that I'd had a stroke, and called 911. The EMTs, as they were loading me up, they called forward to the local hospital, which is a small hospital in the rural area in north central Arkansas, and they linked up with Arkansas Saves, which is the Arkansas Teleconferencing Network. Or saves, it's called. Okay. They instructed them how to treat me. They treated me, put me in an ambulance, further evac me down to Little Rock some 75 miles because it was too stormy to fly. And they performed an incredible procedure that, that uh, fixed me up. And the next day I was so much better that I badgered the doctor into dismissing me. I got up and did the Ali shuffle for him. And the rest is history because the point of my story is timeliness timeliness timeliness
1: yes absolutely and i think so many people uh, i think of my grandma nan and i think of my mom just like the type that no i can grin and bear it it's not a big deal no better safe than sorry
7: Yes, absolutely. Don't think, well, I'll lay down and feel better or I'm just having a bad day or I have a cold or catching something. If any of those symptoms even remotely appear, then call 911 immediately.
1: Well, General, you sound great now. So how has the recovery been? How has your life changed?
7: Well, my life has virtually not changed. I, you could not tell that I had had a stroke if you were around me. You would never guess it. That's uh, great. I still exercise. I ski and everything. It's it's. Uh, just an almost total recovery. I do have slightly less strength on my right side, but uh, almost not noticeable.
1: Well, thank goodness. And thank goodness your wife was so on the ball to get you help right away. Um, if people want to get more information, uh, doctor, where should they go to, again, go through the uh, fast face, arm speech and time and maybe share that with their family members?
3: Sure. There's a website, www.strokeawareness.com where your listeners can get more information. Wonderful.
1: Dr. General, thank you so much to both of you. Thank you. Great info. Great info. Thank you.
3: Thanks for listening to The Good News with Angie Austin. Find the podcast of past shows at angieaustinradio.com.